Hey, it's Andrew here, and I'm super excited to have Jana Basto on Churn.fm for this episode. Jana is the founder and CEO at ProdPad, a product management software that helps product managers develop product strategy. Join us as she shares their unique approach to gamifying onboarding and how experimenting with value-based pricing helped them cross over that magic threshold to negative churn. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Jenna. Thanks very much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me today. It's a pleasure. It's really, really exciting to have you on the show. Uh, I know we've also had uh, several conversations in calls that we've had in the past, and you definitely have an interesting story to share with us today. And uh, one really interesting part of that, I think you recently mentioned, is you very recently passed a negative churn, and I think it's definitely the holy grail of where everyone aims to achieve. So um, maybe you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, where you're at currently in terms of your turn and retention and uh, take it from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, happy to share some of the details as to what we've done along the way. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we just recently crossed over that magic threshold to the negative churn uh, areas, uh, which has been um, one of these long time coming events that we had to really focus on in order to start getting there. Uh, but the trick behind that was to uh, start getting more and more companies, existing companies to upsell and give them opportunities to do so. Yeah, I actually noticed that on your, your pricing page and something I think that's critical when in pricing any product is uh, value-based metrics and making sure that you're pricing according to the value that you deliver. One of those things I've noticed uh, definitely from your side is uh, that as the company size and employees increase is pretty much uh, how the pricing uh, goes. So as you increase admins or editors for the product, uh, how did you go about initially setting up your pricing structures at the very beginning when you decided, okay, this is a new product, uh, we're going to launch into the market. Uh, what was your process behind setting that up? Uh, our pricing has changed a ton over the course of the years that we've, we've been running this. Uh, the initial pricing was simply based on taking a look at what we thought were comparable types of products, as in collaboration tools. Uh, you know, we were looking at the likes of things like Basecamp, which was popular back then, and looking at the pricing there and came up with something that we thought made sense in our space, which was 25 bucks per month. And it was more or less a number that we pulled out uh you know, just to see what would happen. And lo and behold, we did get people paying for it at that point in time. And 
even though it, the price was vastly underpriced, uh, we, we didn't learn that lesson until uh, months later, uh, we started getting our first signups and it started proving that what we had was something that had value. Uh, and from there, we started being able to test pricing and figure out new, new ways of doing it. Yeah, so, I mean, you mentioned uh, you realized it was severely undervalued uh, and you only learned that months later. So how did you go about figuring that out and uh, what did you do to understand a little bit better? Oh, you could certainly see from the demand, uh, you know, the initial signups when people were coming in. Uh, I remember at one point in time, somebody uh, said to me, uh, I was talking through the pricing and they went to clarify. They said something like, oh, so you mean that this is the price per user? And I was like, well, no, actually, it's the price for your entire company. <laughs> at that yeah. point in time, I realized they wanted something like 10 or 20 users, and they would have been happy to pay 10 or 20 times what we were charging. Uh, and therefore, you know, it's very clear with conversations like that, that we could have been getting away with much higher pricing per user or pricing per user, as opposed to pricing just per package, for example. Very interesting. Um and then, so you switched then from the beginning of flat free from 25 to uh, more pricing per seat. Uh, you mentioned as well that's like one of the key things uh, that you found was really trying to look at existing customers and how do you work on expansion revenue. Uh, what were a couple of things that you looked in there and um, what did you try out? Uh, well, one of the things that occurred to us quite early on was that pricing is one of these things that a lot of people get nervous about changing, like they get nervous about testing on and changing and, and iterating on, when in reality, pricing is just one aspect of your product. Just like you might be iterating on a checkout page in order to get conversion rates up, you should be iterating on your pricing and your packaging and your proposition to make sure that you've got the best combinations available there. Uh, and so from the beginning, we've constantly tested and tried new things. And there are ways of testing pricing that allow you to uh, still test pricing and get honest answers without um, scaring off existing users. Uh, one of the tactics we've always used is to have grandfathered pricing, as in if you pay for ProdPad, if you were one of our early customers who got ProdPad for $25 in the very early days, if you've been with us for those five years, you're still paying that same price. And we still do have customers who benefited from that. But along the way, we've been able to go back to these customers and uh, get honest answers about what would you pay? You know, What's the value that you're getting out of this? Does this still make sense? And allows us to test pricing with new users who are coming in without worrying about upsetting past users. You see that quite often where uh, a company will change their pricing on their user base and it totally alienates everybody else who was a, an early customer and all of a sudden is getting a bill shock, doubling their price or whatever else is happening. When in reality, you don't actually need to do that. If you're just uh, uh, optimizing for new incoming users, assuming you haven't saturated the market and you're going to have new incoming, incoming users, you can learn so much from existing and future customers on pricing that allows you to change and find that best, uh, that best package. Uh, and the changes that we did over the years were, um, I guess you could say multifaceted. I mean, we tried different uh, packages. We played with uh, what gets included in packages. We played with various ways of doing add-ons. We actually used add-ons as a way to test the pricing as in here's what you get with this one, but you can buy these extra features, which actually was just helping us to represent, you know, this, these newer, bigger packages that were available. Uh, and the pricing has always gone up as the value of the product has gone up. 
I mean, that first version of ProdPad that we put out there was a much simpler version of what we have today. Uh, and therefore, the pricing of 25 was, you know, it was underpriced, but it wasn't massively. Uh, whereas today, our pricing is uh, a lot closer to what it probably should be based on the fact that we've added in so much more, which helps justify having different price packages. But what we were able to do is as we added new functionality, was still be able to cater to some of the people who had still simple needs by having different packages. And okay. I think you knocked on that with the the, the term value-based pricing. Uh, and that's what we're aiming to do. Yeah. Uh, and the thing I think as well that's probably interesting to hear is uh, you mentioned like quite a lot of tests being run. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically, I think um, companies, I mean, there's one of two options. You go with a prepackaged solution or you try and build your own pricing and packaging. Uh, what route did you take and why? Uh, so our packaging or pricing is based on uh, preset packages that can be customized to a certain degree. Um, the main things that change from package to package is the level of functionality, because there's certain pieces of functionality that are actually only useful, and companies who need them are, are indicative of companies who have much larger portfolios or much larger teams, advanced um, segmentation and things like that, uh, whereas the um, uh, the other piece of that is the number of users who are involved. And number of users in an account is a really interesting one in terms of a value driver. Um, some companies uh, uh, charge for every user. Other companies charge per package. And we've got sort of a blended one where we charge for certain types of users, but other users are free. And that's because in uh, the ProdPad world and product management world, uh, it's often the product managers and the people who are wearing the product manager type of hat who are getting the most value and need to be able to do things like edit the roadmap or send things to development. They're the ones who are getting the most value from it. But the entire package as a whole becomes more valuable if you're able to invite your team members. But realistically, someone isn't going to pay the same amount for, uh, let's say, a um, support rep to access ProdPad as they might pay for the product manager to have access. So instead of charging a flat fee of, let's say, $10 per user, and you know that's what it costs you to add everyone in your account, we charge for the people who are going to get the most value out of it and then allow you to have unlimited number of reviewers. Because uh, at the end of the day, the the you know, if you've got 300 people in your company, you don't have 300 product managers. You certainly don't want 300 people yeah. editing your roadmap, but you do want the, the inputs of those 300 people. And so you've got different levels of value that you're adding to the different types of users. It's very interesting. And I think it's a really great way to break it down. So you, you're charging for those that are getting the most value, but you're making sure that the rest of the company is still be able to extract the value from the tool. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sorry. And a lot of that also maps quite nicely to cost basis as well. Um, so we don't co- we don't charge uh, based on a cost plus um, type thing. We do charge based on value. But there are certain things that uh, do map nicely to that. Like for example, we know that it costs significantly more to uh, maintain and support an account that has, um, uh, let's say. Uh, Microsoft Active Directory integration than it does for somebody who just uses uh, Google SSO, for example. Uh, so the accounts that include ADFS cost more and start at a higher price point than the ones that include more simple functionality. Um, same thing with, you know, we support JIRA for our, our more basic packages, but if you want to use something like TFS, you have to be on one of our higher level packages. And part of that is simply because it take so much more effort to get somebody set up and get them running because those tools are just simply more complex. They've got more complex needs. 
Yeah. Um, so it does definitely sound like you've done a lot of work around this and tested a lot of different things. Um, when you go about the tests themselves, um, you mentioned as well like grandfathering, and I think it's actually Rand Fishkin that mentioned like increasing prices is one of the best ways to increase loyalty, and I think that comes with uh, grandfathering existing customers. But uh, going forward for the new customers, when you run these tests, uh, how do you go about doing them? Is it rolling out? Is it A-B testing, or is it just, okay, let's, let's run this for a cohort? What is your typical process when doing pricing tests? We've attempted to, uh, for the most part, just run them per cohort. But one thing that we realize we do have the capability of doing is changing the pricing on the public-facing website before we change the pricing within the web app itself. And the reasoning behind that is, um, let's say I decide that we wanted to 10x our price. I could go into our pricing page and you know add zeros to <laughs> everything that's sitting on there. Uh, and then I could look at the traffic and find out, did fewer people actually start trials or did the same amount of people start trials? Or, hey, maybe even more people started trials. Uh, now, some of those people might go in and see, you know, it says $500 in the um, public facing website, but only $50 in the app itself. If they go in and sign up for that $50, so be it. But the fact that we've now seen a whole cohort of people, and this cohort might just be a week or two, um, this whole cohort of people go in and see this higher um, uh, pricing allows us to find out as to whether it's going to immediately put people off or whether it's going to be something that we're okay to test with. If it passes that test uh, and people still are happy to start trials with us, even though they can see the pricing is really high, then we can change it in the app and uh, go from there. And the beauty of that is that to change the pricing in the website, I mean, I could do so right now. It's a WordPress page that I could go in and edit if I, if I wanted to and check out how that works. Um, changing it in the app itself takes a few more steps because you have to actually hook that up with your payment processing and make sure that everything is lined up and, and, uh, and is tested within the bounds of the app itself. Um, but for the most part, it allows us to test things before we make any sort of serious changes uh, that mm -hmm. we would be able to go back on. That's a very interesting way. So, and you basically as well uh, then just having a pre-screening and making sure you're not hurting conversions as well before you make these changes ahead of time. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we also make sure that we have conversations around it. Uh, we can run surveys with existing and with new leads, um, existing customers as well. Uh, we can ask them in terms of, hey, we know that you're paying $300 a month. We're not going to change that, but we would like to have a conversation with you and find out, you know, what are you paying for other packages uh, in similar spaces? What is this worth to you? Uh, and as soon as they know that they're not going to be uh, penalized by having the price raised, they start giving much more honest answers going, well, actually, yeah, I, I think I am getting a good deal. I would pay 500 a month. Well, that's great. Um, we'll, we'll try to get 500 a month off the next person who joins, but you get to stay where you are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so you're constantly doing this um, sort of interview style and understanding of pricing every time you're making and running new experiments? And some of them are just ad hoc conversations where we're regularly talking to our customers and finding out how they're getting on with things. Um, simply asking them, you know, do you feel like you're getting value out of this is a great question to ask. Um, because if they say that they're not, then, you know, this becomes a um, churn prevention conversation, less about, um, you know, new pricing conversation. Uh, both are hugely valuable. So you're killing two birds with one stone. 
Yeah. Great. Um, yeah. So then the next thing as well, I was interested is you mentioned uh, again, like uh, upsells and getting your existing customers to pay you more uh, being one of the main ways that you, you got to negative churn. Yeah. What were some of the, the things that you felt that you did that really impacted uh, being able to upsell and uh, increase MRR from existing customers? So some of the key things were just making it more obvious that you could, in fact, add things to your package and making it easier to understand that there are levels of functionality above what you have already. Um, So in previous versions of the app, uh, the only place that you'd actually see the functionality available in uh, a higher level package would be to go to the actual pricing or subscription page and to look at those details and make the decision there. Whereas in the current version of the app, we have various places that, you know, if you're using... um, one piece of functionality, but you're looking for something more advanced, you'll actually have that little notice within the app that you can say, well, actually, if you want to try the advanced package, here's where you can get access to it. So here, you know, the, the, the call to action, uh, the, the option to upgrade is within the app, within the flow of things that they're doing. So it's catching them when they're actually seeing and wanting to see that value within the mm-hmm. app. Um, the other thing that makes a big difference is um, having uh, packages that people can start off on and allowing them to grow from there. So uh, we actually do have a version of ProdPad that's available for $20 per year. And it's a single user, single product, very basic version of ProdPad that allows you to do the idea management and basic road mapping, but doesn't have the levels of complexity or advanced integrations or anything like that that you'd that you'd need if you were using it with an entire team. Uh, But this simple version is enough that is small enough that any product manager could put their personal credit card behind it and start off there. And at that point in time, they're a customer just like any others, except they're, you know, a low value customer, but they're a great opportunity for upsell. And so with hundreds of these customers now, it's easy enough to uh, reach out to them and say, hey, you know what, you're using this for your own personal use. Is it time you started sharing it with your team and getting them involved? Uh, Do you want to switch this over to your corporate company credit card uh, and, uh, you know, upgrade to one of our our, our main packages? Uh, And those are all things that help you with expansion MRR, expansion monthly recurring revenue. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and I really like as well that you've taken uh, that approach like, as an individual. I think it's something that you see quite often as well. That's not only individual using it for their own purposes, but sometimes somebody within an organization wants to test out a product and uh, has a way to do it before actually having to bring it back to the team and rolling it out. Yeah, uh, It's a nice little bridge and stepping stone there. Uh, and yeah, talking about bridges and stepping stones, I think one of the most interesting um, stories I've read in terms of onboarding and getting people set up uh, actually came from yourself in a blog post that you wrote about uh, how you use trials in your onboarding. Uh, and uh, you definitely took a unique approach to it. It's super interesting. And maybe you want to walk us through uh, when it came to onboarding, what sort of initiatives you ran and uh, particularly um, how you impacted trials. Yeah, sure. And this is actually a story that came out of us uh, focusing on one particular metric because we looked at all the different things that we could improve within the app. We could get uh, more 
customers visiting our website or more of those customers um, or more of those, those visitors signing up and starting trials. We could get more people who were existing customers to pay us more. But we actually realized that if we were able to increase the conversion rate of people who started trials, get more of those to convert to paid customers, that would make uh, the biggest difference to our bottom line. Uh, and so this is going back um, almost a couple of years now. Um, when we were looking at these numbers and realized that if we've changed that one number, it can materially change, you know, our cash flow within the business. So we stopped everything and focused on that onboarding uh, conversion rate. And out of that, we actually tried a whole bunch of different experiments, uh, many of which failed. They weren't, uh, they weren't good ideas, but the things that we learned that did work, um, one of which was actually changing the trial time. So it wasn't necessarily changing the things that they do in the trial, but it was changing um, how long they had for the trial. And this came out of a piece of analysis that we did, which was we took a look at all the activities, all the actions that users were doing in their first 30 days. So uh, you sign up for Broadpad, and in those first 30 days, you might add your first product, you might add something to a roadmap, you might create some new ideas, you might send something to Jira, um, whatever it was. We tracked all these activities, and we played them back to figure out which of these activities were most indicative of you actually signing up. And we were able to tell with 85% certainty by day nine what company was going to sign up or not. Uh, and we realized that if we knew by day nine who was going to sign up or not, why did these companies have another 21 days in their trial, as in they had a full 30 days of trial time, in order to find out if it works, if all things indicated that they knew by day nine? Uh, so what we did, we actually shortened the trial time. And what we were trying to do there was to figure out that if we had a shorter trial time, could we get more people through the trial faster and therefore more certainty money in our bank uh, faster? And what it actually did, it shortened the amount of time it took for people to pay us, uh, but it also increased our conversion rate. So as soon as we shortened it to 14 days, the new cohort of users ended up using ProdPad more actively because they had less time. They didn't think they had 21 days or 30 agency. days. Yeah, it created that urgency. And so people actually started using it more. And therefore, there were more people who were willing to pay us by day 14 when the trial ended. Uh, so we started seeing those numbers going up. But we also did start getting a lot of messages from people who said, why is your trial only 14 days? That's not enough time. Could I have more trial time? Uh, which is fine by us. We were happy to extend somebody's trial because honestly, it's easier to get an existing company who's already eager enough to try the first time and the second time to, to sign up and pay than it is to say no to them and alienate them and hopefully get a new customer who is able to pay within the 14 days. Um, and at the end of the day, the 14 days was arbitrary. It was just there to have an end date on it. If somebody was going to take, I don't know, 18 days or 30 days to get the company credit card, that's fine. We can totally understand that. So we had a lot of people asking for extra trial time, and what we actually realized was that trial time was something that we could offer them as a, an incentive to get them to use the app more, because it wasn't the act of shortening the trial time that added the value to get people to, to sign up more. It was the fact that they did more actions. They took more key actions within the app because they thought they had less time. And so we looked back at those key actions and realized, well, if we can get more people to do those key actions, in theory, that would increase our, our conversion rates even more. And so this is where this one experiment came in, which was to take that trial time and shorten it in half again. So we now shortened it to seven days trial. 
But we created a mechanism that allowed people to link their key activities to the, the benefit of getting extra trial time. Uh, and so we had people signing up. You'd come into ProdPad, you'd, you'd create a, an account, and it would say, welcome, tell us the name of your first product. And they'd tell us the name of their product. And as soon as they did so, the, the app itself would give them a reward and say, hey, you've just earned one day free trial time. Here's, you now have eight days left. Um, tell us a, 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 an idea that you'd like to add to ProdPad. And they'd enter an idea, and it would give them two days. Um, do something more complex, like setting up a Jira integration or a Slack integration. You'd unlock four days extra trial time. We even linked it to things that uh, were more beneficial to us than the customer. Uh, one key example is uh, entering your credit card. Um, obviously, we'd like our customers to wh whoever you know likes Broadpad in their trial to enter the credit card. And the sooner they enter the credit card, the more likely they are to stick around. Uh, and so we actually reward the user by if you enter your credit card before your trial runs out, you get four days extra or five days extra in your trial. Uh, at which point we saw people going through, uh, we gave them a little checklist of all the things that they could do and the number of days they'd get for each. And we would see people going through and collecting all of these things, checking off all these things. And really what it was doing was it was showing them that all this functionality existed. So it's giving that, them that incentive to explore around the app and find these unlock triggers. Uh, but each time they did that, they also went through a, a micro onboarding flow for that space. So they'd learn about you know, why you'd integrate with Jira or Slack or uh, you know, why you'd enter feedback that you heard from a customer into ProdPad or why you'd create or how you'd create a roadmap. And so at the end of the day, it became something that taught them how to use it just by act of giving them rewards for doing so. And so the end result of this particular experiment was a quadrupling of our conversion rate uh, from free from uh, free trials to paid accounts uh, just by changing the uh, the trial time. And essentially at that point in time, yeah, at that point in time, we hadn't changed a single piece of functionality except for how the app presented itself in those first 30 days, those first few days of, of usage. Yeah. And so in a way, I mean, you've gamified the onboarding experience and you've incentivized uh, users to actually use the app more and you provide rewards at the end of it. What was the inspiration behind the idea? Uh, where did it come from? Uh, so there were a few points of inspiration. Um, one is you've probably seen this pattern in a whole bunch of different places, um, like Slack, for example. When you use Slack, you earn credits that you can then spend on Slack. Uh, we liked that idea, but we didn't have a credit system. Uh, we didn't really want to muck about with our uh, billing system and add this whole credit system, so we didn't do that. Um, companies like Dropbox, if you invite friends or do key actions like install Dropbox on your desktop, I, I believe you still do this. Uh, I'm not sure, actually, but um, you used to be able to get uh, extra storage space so you can unlock you know, an extra gig or whatever it was of space within Dropbox for free. Uh, and these were all things that, yeah, they were giving you the storage space, but in reality, they, they knew that if you did these key actions, you'd probably be more likely to actually pay for it in the end. Uh, so it created things that were more sticky. Um, another one was a company called UXPIN who uh, gave you extra trial time if you shared the app, as in if you told uh, somebody on Twitter about it or posted it to Facebook, uh, which I thought was quite cool as well. Uh, but I'd never seen anybody trade um, key actions within the app as in things that you need to do in order to learn how to do it, like what Slack and Dropbox did, but trading that in exchange for extra trial time. Oh.
Yeah. And it really is interesting though as well that you said that you already had those existing customers coming to you and saying this is just not enough time to use the product and then here's a solution, use the product and you get more time to use it. So, Yeah, exactly. Uh, and what we found is, uh, you know, even now if your trial expires, you're able to go into the app itself and just press a button to extend the trial. Um, because at the end of the day, if you haven't been able to convince your boss to give over the credit card and you just need that extra day to go in and check something and invite a colleague or whatever else, um, we'd rather you have the time to do that and that you feel comfortable and you love the app before you have to put the credit card in than feeling like you're having to put it in just to gain access to your trial stuff only to turn away later. Uh, and that's actually a reality of a lot of SaaS tools, particularly business-facing ones, uh, because oftentimes you'll find that people are still in trial mode in their first three to six months, even though in your books, they look like a paying customer. And if they leave, if they stop paying you, that's considered churn. Uh, reality is, is that you'll often still have people who are paying you $100 a month and not really thinking twice about it because it's not their money. It's kind of their boss's money. It's their company's money. Uh, and they're allowed to do a few months trial. And if it doesn't stick, then they cancel it. And so you'll often find that your churn rate is high in your first few months, particularly if you're signing up people who aren't seeing the value in the first place. And this often happens with companies who force the end of your trial, as in they force you to pay for it before you're actually seeing that value. Uh, whereas our uh, our methodology, our, our thinking around it was to make sure that they're seeing the value, that they really love it before we force them to pay for it. Um, and that way we don't get that three-month churn of people going, oh, well, you know, I was trying to get it bought in with my company, but it didn't actually work. Yeah. That's definitely, I think, the way forward and making sure. And it makes a lot of sense what you're saying as well. Is like people come in, they test out a tool. It's not their money, like, and they end up churning later. How long is the period that you allow them to continue using it, though? So if they extend a trial, what is sort of the time frame that you give them to extend it? <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this. Technically, there's actually not anything stopping somebody from doing it indefinitely, um, except for the fact that we do uh, we do have a little trigger that tells us if somebody's clicked it too many times. Uh, and at that point in time, we'll then follow up with them going, hey, buddy, oh, pal, um, I see you've extended for the fifth time. <laughs> Is there anything we can help you with? And at that point in time, we'll have a conversation with them and find out why they need to constantly do it. Uh, we actually haven't had anybody trying to abuse it. Um, we've, we've reached out to some people going, hey, what's what's up? Is there any reason you're not paying for it? And you're just constantly extending your trial. Um, yeah. But it's also, uh, you know, while they could theoretically extend it forever, uh, we'll be getting into contact with people and making sure that they're not stuck in that loop. Uh, but also, it's a it's an annoying enough trigger um, in that it would lock them out and it would still have that trial banner at the top uh, so anybody in that account would know that their company is not paying for it and they kind of look a bit cheap if they try to do so so we've kind of given the benefit of the doubt going you know go nuts like keep, keep coming back if you so wish um, and we'll have the conversation when the time comes if we see you're getting true value out of it and you know you're using it on a daily basis we'll ask for money uh, but more often than not if somebody's doing that it's because they're actually honestly stuck on something and needed us to reach out and find out how we could help them out yeah, definitely. It's interesting. And like, if someone's going through that effort, they obviously somebody that wants to be using the tool as well. So you want to make sure you're looking after and nurturing them. Yes, exactly. Um, you mentioned something as well in the beginning uh, around uh, the nine days and you went out and you were able to predict with 85% certainty that they would end up becoming customers. 
Um, maybe can you just talk us through how you went about getting to that number and uh, how you figured out that it was 85% within nine days? Sure. Uh, your listeners will be disappointed. I wish I could tell you about some magic tool or process. Uh, this was done with a spreadsheet and exports of anonymized data that we just trawled through. Uh, my co-founder is uh, uh, very data analytics um, centric uh, and so spent the time and it was the type of analysis that took him a good month of looking at it and figuring out different ways of playing with it um, uh, and so it wasn't an exact science but it was enough uh, to understand those types of patterns uh, and make some decisions based on it okay so you're looking at um, basically an export of your database and you're just trying to understand what the usage is uh, for your accounts, uh, it's was it using obviously like uh, something to query the database, or uh, you're not sure. Uh, I'm guessing that uh, you know we we pulled a chunk of data and added it to a spreadsheet and then used that to to dig through it. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure, but it certainly wasn't any of these. Um, there's all these new tools for 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 figuring this stuff out now. Uh, we certainly yeah, weren't using any of those. Um, this this predates okay. any of that. Very cool. But uh, definitely, I mean, it sounds like it's had a, a big impact in the way that you onboard uh, customers and uh, definitely worth the time to dive in and understand that a bit more, maybe for a follow-up yeah. uh, call. Well, um, yeah, exactly. And it's informed how we're building out our analytics um, systems for now because uh, obviously our, our onboarding data is much more complex now because you don't just have 30 days to look at we have you know n number of days you know it could be anywhere from 7 to 45 days uh, <laughs> before somebody actually pays um, so we're, we're using what we learned from the previous version iteration of this to inform how we're going to measure uh, customers going forwards and, and further improve this onboarding this onboarding flow Nice. Uh, and then talking, yes, actually about metrics uh, and the way you're rolling things out. Um, what are you using at the moment uh, for your metrics? Uh, and do you have sort of any key product metrics that you think are critical for you to be tracking? Uh, as in like, what is the definition of a, a healthy account or... Yeah, we've been, we use a mixture of different tools and we're actually in flux right now making a change of tools. So perhaps next time we talk, I can tell, walk you through what we've set up and uh, walk you through what worked and didn't work. Um, in terms of what it is that we are tracking, uh, really important to us is finding out uh, what makes a successful company, as in what makes somebody who sticks around for three years, what did they do differently in their first six months that somebody else hasn't done? Um, what results in somebody churning at one point versus another? Um, what kind of um, usage of features are we having? As in, are more people using the roadmap tool versus the feedback tool? Are people who use the feedback tool more successful or less successful than the, the, the roadmap tool? So these are the types of questions that we're asking. And it's really much, very much looking at how people are using the tool and what kind of value they're getting out of that and how that then translates into value for us as in a customer who sticks around for a long time. Uh, when we actually look at our high-level metrics, we don't just gun for revenue in the door. That's not our end goal. Uh, one of the key um, objectives or metrics that we measure is the revenue that we get from customers who've been with us for 12 months or more. 
And what that means is that when somebody signs up, if somebody signs up today, uh, we celebrate that. We're like, yay, you know, another hundred bucks in the uh, in the system. That's great. But in reality, what we're actually looking for are is the success rate of people who signed up one year ago. How many of those just renewed for 12 months? How many people have now paid us 12 times or paid us for an annual package and has, has renewed that and has come back because uh, they found it so valuable? How do we increase that number? And what that does is make sure that the entire team is focused on long-term sustainable revenue. If we just set our revenue goals to things like, you know, get more revenue, um, that could lead to our marketing team trying to get in quick wins, but not necessarily people who stick around, or our sales team using high-pressure tactics to get people to buy now, not you know, not even acknowledging that this person might cancel in six months time because they were never a good fit in the first place. It leads to yeah. our pro- product marketing, uh, what's happening on the website, matching really closely what's happening in the app. Because otherwise, if somebody signs up based on what they've read in the website, but the app itself lets them down, they're going to turn. Uh, and so we make sure that That's we're really focusing on our, our entire team around the concept of things that will get people to stick around months longer uh, or, you know, until that 12 months or beyond mark. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I think, excellent look at the way of looking at metrics as well and really like focusing the company around a metric that's more geared to retention as opposed to the short-term uh, wins that potentially can hurt you in the long run. Yeah. Um, so just wrapping up a little bit, Jana, maybe you want to run us through, and obviously we didn't start with this, but uh, let the audience know a little bit about ProdPad. I think they've got a bit of an idea by now, but what it is you do, um, what's the company size at the moment? Uh, just a general like, sort of update on uh, what you're up to. Sure, absolutely. So ProdPad is a tool that was built by myself and my co-founder when we were both product managers ourselves, working for a couple different startups, leading product for those companies. And we realized that we needed tools to help us do our own jobs doing things like gathering the ideas and the insights from our customers and from experiments we're running and from our teams and mapping that out and creating a roadmap that we can share with our with our board, with our investors, with our customers, with our team to make sure everyone knows where it is we are now and what we're planning for in the longer term. Uh, and so we built ProdPad as a tool to help us do that job. But nowadays it's used by more than a thousand companies around the world, a thousand paying companies around the world and um, uh, uh, th- tens of thousands of product people amongst those companies. Uh, we're a team of 15 uh, based in the UK and across Europe. Uh, we're completely bootstrapped. We never raised funding uh, and we're profitable and growing. Oh, it's unbelievable. And uh, when did you guys get started? Uh, so this started off as a little project that we started in uh, 2010. Um, again, this was back when we were both product managers ourselves. We had no intentions of uh, quitting our jobs. We were busy building products for these companies. Uh, this originally was just a tool that we used internally only to help us do our own jobs. Uh, but it was in 2012 that we realized that what we had was actually worth getting out there. So started sharing with some fellow product managers. Uh, we spent a few months um, rewriting parts of it and getting it ready for a uh, a launch as a commercially available SaaS product. So we launched it in February of 2013, uh, so coming up six years now. And we actually made this aim of getting our first paying customer 
within the first month. Uh, we didn't want to create a business that had to depend on external funding. We decided to make it customer funded, make something that people want to pay for, that adds value, that they will pay for, uh, and grow the business that way. Uh, and so we did end up having our first paying customer within that month, uh, and it's just been growing since then. That's fantastic. Yeah, so uh, any plans for the future? Next uh, 12 months, obviously it's January now at the moment. Is there anything starting, things that we should be looking to ProdPad for? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, within the product team itself, we launch new code twice a week, every Tuesday and every Thursday. There's new releases. Some are big, some are small. So the, co the product is constantly evolving. We're, uh, we're constantly figuring out how people are using it, how they're collecting feedback and turning that into insights and and. and, and and features that they end up building into their own products. Uh, we are working more and more with third-party companies who are building integrations with us. And so with any luck, we're able to turn this into a, uh, uh, a, a nice marketplace for people to add on stuff to their ProdPad. Um, and a lot more. We're looking at growing the team. We're hiring PHP developers and uh, marketeers and potentially down the line this year, um, salespeople. Um, so we're going to keep it uh, going that way. Um, other major development that uh, just came out was uh, the ver uh, an option for an on-premise version of Broadbed. So any of those companies who are highly security conscious, uh, you know, we, we've ended up working with the likes of banks and government organizations and other companies like that. We've now got a version of Broadbed that caters to them as well. Wow. So it sounds like you've definitely got a lot going on this year. Uh, you've also shared a lot with us today. I think there's a lot for our readers to take away. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining. It's been a fantastic having you. Um, of course. Yeah, it's been great chatting with you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thanks, Anna. All right. Thank you, everybody. Take care. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.